Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the latest and potentially greatest edition of the Rider Rumblings uh, podcast. Uh, we're very pleased to have with us today uh, Philadelphia Phillies fan, uh, Britt Dort, <laughs> who uh, is also no- noted for her coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for CTV Regina and uh, lately and doing a tremendous job as a sideline reporter for TSN. Uh, Britt, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. I don't know. People are going to think I paid you off to write that intro. <laughs> That was so nice. Thank you. And how about oh, you're that? welcome. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm a Mets fan, so it hasn't been the greatest uh, last few weeks in my life. Yeah. And how's this for a smooth segue? Not the greatest last few weeks for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, uh, what a year to start covering the Rough Riders, Britt. What, is, what has it been like uh, following this team? It's not the, not the greatest starter kit in the world uh, as far as somebody covering the Rough Riders. Yeah, I would say I remember at the beginning of the year, I kind of chatted with all of you other members of the media, and you guys kind of gave me a warning of what, what I should expect, and then I would just say the storylines have written themselves this year. I haven't struggled to find stories with the riders. I haven't really hit a lull in the season, because, I mean, the CFL season can feel long um, and kind of feel like you're doing the same thing over and over, but every week we have something new to talk about, and even though we're on a bye week, next week when they return, it's we're going to have something to talk about. What do you make of this season and the roller coaster that it's been? Um, I don't really know what to say about this season. I would say I've remained hopeful because they've remained so hopeful. I mean, you've been in the scrums with head coach Craig Dickinson, you know, quarterback Cody Fajardo, and even when they didn't win a single game in September, they still seemed fairly upbeat, which I think put us in a little bit of, you know, a spot where we felt motivated that, hey, this team still might be able to pull through. But I would say at this point, my hopes are dwindling, and I would say there's there's not a lot left for this team. It's just it's it's so weird, especially with Ottawa beating Montreal last week, and now Ottawa's injected itself into the equation. So got to water, got to monitor what the Red Blacks are doing, what the uh, what the Hamilton Tiger Cats are doing. Uh, it, it almost uh, and then the Rough Riders, for their part, they have to play the Calgary Stampeders twice. So uh, that to me seems to be the tallest order, regardless of irrespective of whatever happens with Ottawa and, and, uh, and Hamilton, can the Rough Riders beat a Stampeders team that by all appearances will have something to play for right through to the end of the regular season. How does that happen when you look at how the Stampeders are playing and comparatively how the Rough Riders are playing? I guess that's why people still enjoy CFL football though, because there, there are so many teams battling for so many things this late in the season. It's not a write-off. People are writing off the riders, but technically there's still the slim chance that there could be something that comes out of this rider season. So maybe that'll keep some rider fans still engaged. And that last home game that's coming up on, I think, the 22nd, we'll still see fans, you know, excited because who knows? They could pull something out against the Stamps here. I mean, I've written them off, I think, in August, September and October. Now, uh, (laughs) am I going to end up looking foolish here? Well, I don't know. My my theory was that Dan Clark was coming back here and he was going to be the savior that saved this team because what a storybook that would be, the fact that we lose him in week two. He's the only remaining piece from the 2013 Grey Cup champion team. And then he comes back and we saw him in that first game against Winnipeg. Fajardo didn't face any sacks that game. And we know he's leading the league in, you know, sacks faced. So I thought, oh, this is going to be the turnaround is Dan Clark comes back and saves this team. And then it was you know, a different story against Hamilton when it came to sacks. And obviously they lost that game. So 
I don't really know what to write for this team at this point. I'm hoping for a storybook ending. Yeah, it's uh, wouldn't it be something, especially with the Grey Cup here and uh, with them being so roundly dismissed in my column and in other forums that uh, it's been such a goofy year that I don't completely rule out something turning the other way just because I'm not sure what else can be thrown in front of this football team. It just seems like it's been one thing after another. And, and this the unpredictability of the Canadian Football League and even the goofy history of the Rough Riders has that little voice in the back of my head saying, Rob, did you prematurely dismiss them? But then I watched them play and it just, well, there's, there's nothing I see on the field that leads me to think that there's going to be a turnaround. And I juxtapose that with, this is still the Canadian Football League and Ottawa can still go to Montreal and win. So how do you know? I know. And you don't know what's going to happen between Hamilton and Ottawa. That's going to be a tough matchup to look at. I can't make any predictions right now. I'll tell you that much. Every prediction I've made for a rider game this season, I think I've gotten wrong. So, Well, I hope you haven't been wagering then. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a week ago we were looking at Hamilton versus Ottawa toward the end of the year and thinking, okay, uh, the Rough Riders want Hamilton to not dominate that series. And now it's, whether it's Ottawa wins or Hamilton wins, I'm not sure what the the benefit it is, is to the Rough Riders either with, with Ottawa clawing itself back into the equation. I guess ideally there's a split between those two teams, but I, I never thought I'd be talking about the Ottawa Red Block, Red Blacks uh, in any manner with respect to a possible playoff berth or any, any effect on the Rough Riders. So uh, maybe, maybe Bob Dice and the, the Red Blacks can, uh, can influence factor influence matters a bit. It just, I did not see that one coming at all. Anyway, it's been hard. And I feel like we focus a lot more on the West because we're out here covering the riders and the West division more so. Um, so yeah, I almost feel like the East division got written off early because they were not as competitive, but same thing. I don't feel like I've paid a lot of attention to them unless I'm covering a game where a team's involved that all of a sudden, yeah, we find ourselves looking at the red blacks and at the tie cats and, now I'm, I guess I'm in a position where I should be paying attention to them. Oh, I know it's, uh, uh, you know, and early in the year, it was just, it was East losing handily to West, East losing handily to West. And, and now it's reached the point where there's a lot more East versus East games. So I think that has changed the equation a bit. And the East teams don't quite look, look quite like the soup cans. We thought they were going to be earlier in the year because they started to play each other and that's balanced the scales a bit. And, I just didn't think there'd be a compelling reason to watch any of those teams at this time of year. But I didn't think there'd be a compelling reason to watch Saskatchewan versus Hamilton. I mean, a few weeks ago, earlier in the year, you're looking at the Riders' schedule and you're thinking, okay, they've got three out of four against Winnipeg and the the rest game will be Edmonton. And then you're thinking they got two against Calgary at the end of the year and that the rest game will be Hamilton. And it turns out the Hamilton game had larger implications uh, than anyone had imagined. It just... I did not see that coming, but I didn't see this coming when they were four and one either. So, or four and two or four and three. Yeah, or... It's weird. <laughs> it's felt like it's just unraveled since that touchdown Atlantic game. And I, I don't know if that's the one that I hold the most hostility toward because I truly believe they should have won touchdown Atlantic. Um, and ever since then, it's just felt like it's been this roller coaster. So I think I hold that one with the most, I don't know. It, it upsets me the most because I think that they should have won that game in Atlantic Canada. Yeah, and that, uh, I mean, it was winnable for them. They they had gone ahead, and uh, 
And uh, then Cody threw the pick six to Winton, Winton McManus. And uh, that, that's sort of been an underrated play and an underrated, I think, turning point in the season. I think you've really identified it well. I mean, something I should have should have occurred to me two months ago, probably. Um, I mean, there's so much is made, and I've made so much about how the July 8th Garrett Marino game was a turning point in the other direction. But there were games after that. And that touchdown Atlantic game, one that was so winnable and one in which they really didn't play that poorly. Um, I just wonder if that pick six ignited things or, or was a catalyst for the, for the the team's woes as much as anything that may have happened on July 8th or after July 8th, that game will probably come back to haunt them. Yeah. And I, you know, there's, there's a couple moments that I can think of that are, they're haunting. I mean, a few weeks ago when Brett missed uh, a few of those field goals that could have won them the game. I also think of that game and I get frustrated because I think they could have won that. I mean, there's a lot, they should have won against the Elks too. They should have won in Hamilton. Um, you know, there's a lot of coulda, woulda, shouldas. I don't know. And I mean, I also, I'm coming off biased, but I'm getting biased with the frustration of covering this team and seeing their potential and them not reaching it. I'm not biased because I want them to win. I'm biased for that reason. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I look at that team and I still think there's, there's, when I look at the roster, I don't see that it's an unsalvageable football team. I mean, I, I'm extremely old. I don't think your parents were probably even alive when I watched the Rough Riders go two and 14 in 1979 and 1980. I saw them go three and 15 in 1999. I saw them go three and 15 in 20, 2015. I mean, I've seen these bad seasons, but I looked at those teams and there just didn't seem to be anything on them or virtually anything on them that where you could look at it and say, well, they could have done better. But uh, I, I look at this team and there just seems to be more there. I mean, it's got the kind of defense that I think uh, a team needs to maybe not win a championship, but certainly contend for one. And they held Hamilton to 18 points last, uh, last Friday and lost. So the defense is certainly there. And that's something that's been lacking from a lot of really bad teams in the years over the years. Well, and if you, if you look at the offense, I mean, a healthy Duke and a healthy Shaq was the biggest thing at the beginning of the season. And we haven't been able to see both of them together do that. Um, really at all and then now when the running backs take a hit with no Morrow and no Hickson if you had a Hickson that was healthy a Morrow that was healthy a Duke that was healthy you know and all the receivers you know when you have like Brindlinius everybody if you had a healthy receiving core and healthy running backs this team I think would be competitive and the record would look a lot different and I mean every team's dealt with injuries so you can't just play the injury card but I truly think if this team was fully healthy they would be in a lot different of a position well, you were in the scrum a few weeks ago when Duke Williams uh, talked to us and and sounded like he was coming back right away. And they talked about, a, I, I think it was Cody that ref- referenced a, a, a Grey Cup receiving core. And uh, if you look at the the five receivers that ideally they would have as their starters, uh, that's a pretty good core. Uh, but suddenly Duke Williams, even when he's played, he hasn't been that effective. If they had a, the kind of Duke Williams that people saw here last year, then I think everything kind of settles into place. You know, uh, suddenly your your best the best cover man on the other team isn't on Kean Schaefer Baker. That probably opens opportunities for him because if Duke isn't getting the ball, he's probably taking two defenders with him. And I just think there's a domino effect once the receiver that you've identified as your guy and one that you're paying quite uh, handsomely to be that person hasn't been there. And and now we're looking at a receiving core that's pretty marginal. 
I agree. That's a really good point about Duke and, and him taking up more than one defender. I agree. You're like a Shaq as well. Because Keen Shaver Baker, we've seen, yeah, we've seen what he can do um, in a number of positions, in a number of areas. He's got a lot of talent, which is exciting for Ryder Nation if he sticks around, because I think he has a lot of years ahead of him to only get better. Um, and he even made a, a note a couple weeks ago when we said we thought everybody was going to be healthy and what would that be like? And he also said, try and stop us, which I thought was a really good quote because I, I agreed. I thought, yeah, this is going to be a tough group to try and stop. Well, you, you even look at the running backs. I mean, and, and again, I go back to July, the July 8th game against Ottawa, but, you know, Jamal Morrow was playing well. Uh, Frankie Hickson ripped off the 53-yard touchdown run. They had this two-headed running back uh, situation that was uh, the most effective the Rough Riders offense has been this this season is when they've had when they had those running backs complementing complementing each other so well. Even when they even if they were to have one of them at this stage, I think there would be a semblance of a threat from the offensive backfield. But then you go to Keenan LaFrance and then you go to Shaq Cooper and I guess if there's good news, it's it sounds like uh, from what Craig Dickinson was was telling Michael Ball on CKRM on Monday. It sounds like Jamal Morrow was going to be back for the Calgary game. So, uh, how much would that mean? Yeah, you know what? That could that really can mean a lot. I mean, he what was he third in in rushing yards in the league, and and he'd been out for a number of weeks, and he was still sitting, I think, in third. So, I mean, that shows you what he can do, and I what he's been able to show Hickson, like. You, when you talk to Frankie, he constantly says, yeah, we're Mario and Luigi, but he's also been able to share how much Jamal has helped him. And I felt like we saw that with Frankie when he had to step up when Mora was out. And then, yeah, when you lose both of them, it was like, okay, well, who do we put at running back here? And you saw the struggles, rightfully so. Those guys basically got thrown in, but it would be nice to see Morrow come back. I think that could play a huge role against Calgary because how are you going to get through that defense? Well, Morrow might be your guy. And Morrow's also a threat in terms of uh, receiving, too. I mean, he was, in terms of combined yardage, he was uh, so effective. And maybe that liberates the passing game as well. And it gives Cody a, a quick release option when I would think inevitably there's some fr- pressure that's being exerted. I I just wonder if not enough has been made about Jamal Morrow not being there because he was, to the extent that they've had a catalyst on offense this season, I think he's been it. Well, and if that's going to relieve some pressure on Cody... That could be a, a big difference because it feels like he's not given time. But, I mean, again, you can blame the O-line or I don't know who you blame on that. But I mean, it, it seems everybody's blaming somebody. Um, I've been doing some blaming. People have been blaming me. Uh, nobody's been nobody's been blaming the media as a whole yet. So maybe the, the Trump, uh, <laughs> the Trumpian response hasn't yet uh, emerged, but. What kind of feedback are you getting from from viewers? What's the what's the tenor of the of the correspondence that you're fielding? You know what? I feel like you guys write the tougher articles and you you ask the tougher questions. And I will say that I, I don't quite as often. Maybe I need to be doing that a little bit more to get a little more out of them. But I would say most of my feedback is more people coming at me for my on air performance and my really? my knowledge or my writer writing or stories. I. I feel like nobody's really been frustrated with me personally, which is nice so far. (laughs) There's a couple people who've been frustrated with how I am on air, but not when it comes to my riders and what I'm covering. But I mean, there's people, I think the biggest thing has been the Marino thing. And it seems like there's a 50, 50 split amongst that. And maybe you've seen that too. Um, I would say the feedback has been, you know, why are we giving this attention when it doesn't need to be? There's also the feedback of, why isn't he still on this team? What he did wasn't that bad, and we need him, especially when it comes to the defense now. So 
I don't know. I, I don't think the feedback's been too crazy. When I read comments, I also try not to read too many comments because, you know, I want to have a good day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say the Merino thing has been the biggest thing. Or uh, now recently, I mean, you've been seeing it, people calling for coaching changes and quarterback changes, whether that's next season or to finish off this season. I don't know. But that's been the feedback that the last couple weeks has been maybe a clean slate, cleaning house. You know, I remember um, you know, the Marino thing when they caught him. And then I remember Craig Dickinson saying that, that the team was in a really bad headspace, their first practice back. And to the, you know, you mentioned that even in terms of public opinion, there's a 50, 50 split, but you, I can't think that I can't imagine that within the locker room and even Craig Dickinson alluded to it. I mean, there were some players who were disappointed or perhaps upset over that. So you just wonder what effect that had internally in terms of the the perception, I mean, the, the fans have their own theories, but uh, if something monumental like that happens internally, what does that do to a football team when clearly there was some some frustration? And I'm sure there was a dis at least I'm sure there were players in the team who thought this should have been done and maybe done in July. And I'm sure there's players on the team who feel that he should be here. So what does that do to a team? I absolutely agree. I think that is one of the dividers probably amongst the team this season and maybe still affecting them now. Um, but it's a situation that I think you're never going to win in. It doesn't matter the player or the context. I think anytime you cut a player, there's people that maybe don't think that he should have been cut. And I mean, if you look at the struggles of defenses, when the defense has had struggles, so you look back on, I was thinking about it on Friday night when Hamilton was running the ball for the better part of seven and a half minutes of the fourth quarter and the Rough Riders couldn't stop them. And Hamilton was moving the ball into the wind. And I'm thinking, man, if, if they had somebody more forceful at defensive tackle, maybe this could have been thwarted, not only with uh, Garrett Marino no, no longer being there, but with Anthony Lanier II being unavailable. Yeah, I think not having Lanier right now, definitely missing Marino, but not also having Lanier. I mean, that defense has taken a major hit. But the defense is still strong. Like, when you have Larry Dean back in there, I mean, Sankey's very strong. Moncrief's strong. So they do have key pieces. But I, I would say without Lanier, it'll be nice if we can get Lanier back before the end of the season. I said we there, not we. <laughs> if they can get Lanier back. Again, remaining unbiased. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like uh, with your dual role uh, doing the sidelines? What's uh, what kind of opportunity has that been, and how how cool has it been? Um, it, it's been awesome, and I I can't say enough about you know the wonderful people that I've been able to work alongside and that have accepted me. I mean, I'm the rookie amongst the league and amongst um, all these amazing personalities that do these games, both you know on camera and off camera. They're wonderful people, and then even just the teams I've been able to cover. I think. I've had a chance to cover about five-ish teams amongst the league, probably. And every player, coach, you know, everybody that I have met in these organizations has been very amazing to me, very like, respectable, like just class people. I love them. I've absolutely loved every experience. I cannot say I've had a bad experience with an athlete or coach. And I've also covered the Elks a number of the times, who we know hasn't been a team that's seen a lot of success in the last few years, and they've still been wonderful people. I've always wondered, and I just, it can't be the most enviable situation to be in, but uh, talking to players at halftime, there's sometimes the players look like they just do not want to be there. Uh, and their preoccupation, of course, is the game as it's progressed to that point and what, what remains in the game. Um, what is it like 
dealing with players in those situations? Um, you know what? I, I guess the last game I covered was kind of a blowout between the Bombers and Elks. Uh, so that one was a little harder to talk to Edmonton coming out of the half. Um, but you know, they still are, they still respect me. They still do give me the time of day. Um, I mean, you can obviously see frustrations and hear it in their words, but it hasn't been too, too bad. That was probably my only experience where I really was dealing with a blowout on the score. Most of the games I've covered have actually been very tight around that half halftime mark. So I've been fortunate because both teams are still feeling the energy and feeling like they're in it and excited to get out there and try to, you know, win that game. So even in my last matchup there, I don't even think it's been that bad. Knock on wood, I haven't had a bad experience <laughs> yet, but I, I know for others, I'm sure it hasn't been great. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's it been like overall? I mean, you, you were on CTV Morning Live and it did tremendously there. And as I understand it or recall, if this is something that you really, really wanted to do uh, as far as covering sports. Uh, how did that come about and how were you enjoying that? Um, yeah, you know what? I never even saw myself as an on-air person. I always just wanted to work in sports. I didn't really care what aspect it was. Um, and, you know, I was on the morning show and I loved, loved that job. I had a great crew, um, everything about it. And honestly, in a world where you didn't need to sleep, I would work both jobs because it was so much fun. But <laughs> when this position opened up, I couldn't not try to go for it because I just thought, well, this is what younger Brit dreamed of was to work in sports. So, uh, you know, I applied for it and very blessed. They gave me the position. Uh, and, you know, then next thing I know, TSN was reaching out and asking if I could, you know, train with them and work with them. And it's, again, like they are the most wonderful crew, most wonderful company, most wonderful people that I've ever worked with. And they gave me a shot. Like, I think it's just the fact that I've been given these shots. I don't know who's paying them off to. They're paying, they're <laughs> paying you. Uh, and yeah, I've just, I've just been blessed with so many great opportunities. I can't even begin to thank enough people. Well, people just don't hand these things out like, uh, like gifts though. They have to be earned and, and merited. So do keep that in mind when you're being so self-effacing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, but we'll see where it goes from here. The, hopefully, um, hopefully they like what was enough. it about young? I'm sorry. I said, hopefully they like me enough to keep me. <laughs> what was it that? kind of made younger Brit want to do this? Um, you know, I do think it's just growing up in a very sporty family. My, my brother and my dad are very big when it comes to sports, like diehards for their teams. So, you know, it was always very important to, you know, watch our team when they were on TV and, and then we would sit and, you know, digress the games and what we're doing poorly, what we're doing most of the time, it's what we're doing poorly because we don't cheer for a lot of winning teams. Um, so, <laughs> so I just, I always, was so excited to watch games with my dad and my brother and break it down and talk about athletes, talk about coaches. I've always been obsessed with the Olympics, things like that. I, it, I always want to watch sports. Like right now I have, I think I have motocross on in the background. I don't even really enjoy that, but I, yeah, there's always sports on. That's always important to me. And like I said, I just wanted to work in sports. I didn't even know what aspect maybe I would be a trainer. I don't know. Um, it's just sports are the most as cliche as it is, you know, important thing in the world to me because they bring everybody together no matter your beliefs your views you know you can always find common ground for people who like sports so i love them for that reason there's got to be like a dorts on sports segment coming in the future the, the, the poetry there is just too irresistible well i do appreciate lee jones i think throws to my story sometimes like the brit dort sports report so i appreciate that Ooh. <laughs> 
the uh, I think I've finished uh, hitting you with all my insipid questions. Uh, is there anything you'd like to <laughs> like to uh, to add? Anything that comes to mind? You know, covering pertaining to the Rough Riders. You think it's kind of important to to uh, cite before I let you get on with your day here? You know what? I, I always ask people, is there anything you'd like to add? And they've never gotten an answer from any athlete or coach. And then now you've asked me and I don't think I have an answer. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so now I got to stop asking others that. No, you know what? It's just it's been a privilege. It's been an honor. And to work alongside you, Rob, also is amazing. The fact that you even asked me to be a guest on this. What a privilege. So I oh, I'm so flattered that you would not only guest with us, but be so kind. So thank you so much, Britt. <laughs> well, anytime. And, uh, I've got to get the obligatory shot of my dog in here. There's Candy. Yeah. So. Oh, hey, Candy. I know my cat's noises in the background. My cat's somewhere amongst here. Yeah, that's the joys of working from home. Yeah. We get to spend time with our with our wonderful creatures. So uh, I have to read this really exciting outro. Uh, so please bear with me while I, I always, it's re I'm really self-conscious doing this when the guest is a broadcaster too, because I realize Gosh, how, uh, how uh, I, how I lack broadcasting chops or the voice to really pull this off. So I should have just emailed this to you so you could read it, but I'm going to take a shot at it. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. So far, I've nailed this. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or as they always say, wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know why everybody says that on everything, but they do. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstone at postmedia.com and we'll read it on the show. The next question we get will be our third of the season. You can follow me on, you can follow me. My name, I believe, is Rob on Twitter, at Rob Vanstone. Uh, Murray McCormick is usually with us, but he's uh, on assignment visiting his mother in in, uh, in Ontario. He's at Murray LP. Britt, where can you be found on air, on social media, on sports in general? I was going to say, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't tweet often. I don't keep up with you too often, but uh, at Britt Dort, CTV on Twitter. And yeah, I think that's it. You can follow. I think there's a Facebook page for me, Britt Dort TV, maybe. <laughs> Even know. Perfect. Well, Britt, I can't thank you enough for uh, doing this. So we'll uh, see you at uh, at practice next week, and who knows what awaits us in the in the two games that remain, and maybe more. I'm gonna say, can't wait. For Britt Dart, uh, I'm Rob Vanstone, and uh, we will do this again uh, uh, next week. Uh, thanks so much for your time, and have a great day. Thanks.